and welcome to the Stronger for Life podcast. I'm your host, Cass, and today I am joined by Bill Day Simone, the founder of the Friendly Fitness Project. Um, pretty much, he's been doing this for a very, very, very long time in exercise um, and pretty much personal training. He's written a lot and provided a lot of content for books, seminars, podcasts, mostly around the topic of protecting your joints during exercise. And he has in a, a studio, Optimal Exercise, in central New Jersey. Welcome to the show, Bill. Hello. Thanks for having me. Oh, great. So uh, how are you doing out there? I mean, uh, you know, aside from this whole spill of the aside from the obvious aside yeah from the obvious yeah yeah basically how how, how are you aside, doing aside from the obvious fine pretty much uh, untouched by anything directly so far great great and i decided i wanted to invite you onto the podcast to be able to at least one you know i wanted to be able to ask you a few questions and also to be able to pick your brain about certain topics and your, your thoughts and views, especially since I, I would find it helpful from somebody who's doing it for a very, very long time. I mean, in particular, when it comes to since I am, am of Asian descent, the younger the younger generation often looks over to uh, looks up to the older generation for the wisdom to be able to pass down to the, uh, to the generation. Just because you know me at my my uh, my height and range, I won't be able to see uh, things that you may have been uh, you've you've been there you've done that. So I, I basically wanted to start off with um, particularly I'm starting off really 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 ner- nerdy, uh, uh, especially about uh you know Mike Mike Menser's influence on resistance training, and you know where he may have differed from Arthur Jones's suggestions. I know this is probably going to be something more specific in the high intensity training world. But, you know, I just wanted to get uh, get uh, go over there and just kind of, you know, kind of have a little bit of a history history type of a thing. Actually, let, let me ask you because, see, for me speaking as somebody significantly younger, it's hard for me to put myself in a. Uh, 25 year old shoes mm-hmm. again so um now mike Benz has been gone for almost 20 years now so how, do, how are you aware of him um it originally it started with uh one um i actually looked into bruce uh, bruce lee uh bruce lee's uh, training because he was he's a very popular figure within the martial arts so i was involved in martial arts Bruce Lee was seen as um, almost like a legendary mythical type of person, and and right. in, in doing so, you know, I got introduced to the work works of John Little. John Little happened, to, uh, you know, by the association, you know, was linked up to Mike Menser. I ended up reading about you know John Little's stuff, Mike Menser's stuff. And it really had a thought, pro- it, it was really thought provoking for me at that time. And I thought, huh, this is it. I mean, of course, that's not to say that there are times where I just thought, mm, I know Mike, but it, 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 it brought, it started up that, uh, discussion. 
but later on, you know, that was after, you know, I was just, I was still in college, still being, being, I, I didn't really care, overly care too much. I didn't think too much of it. I thought it was an interesting philosophy. I, but afterwards, you know, so many years later, I got introduced with, uh, with uh, Doug McGuff's book, uh, Body by Science. And then I particularly, you know, read, read through that. It got another thought provoking reaction out of me, which in turn later on, I, um, went doing a little bit more research into body by science. I found that it had links into the well, uh, high, inten- uh, high intensity training, and I thought the same high intensity training that was discussed by Mike Menser, and that here, here, here I am. <laughs> you know, it's uh, funny you should bring up John Little's, Little's name because uh, you know he he only writes about dead guys because when he gets it wrong, they can't correct him. So uh, no, that's a joke because <laughs> that's a joke because he and I are. are in touch, um, on a decent, on a decent interval and, uh, re- regularly, regularly break each other's chops. <laughs> but, um, but no, j- listen, John, John, uh, has written extensively about Menser. Uh, he and I, over the last week or two, have been trading some Menser memorabilia back and forth. Um, and um so there's a good that's a good place to start as far as um uh, John's a good writer, so that's a good place to learn about men from um now the the thing is for somebody today looking to this, you know you kind of lose the context, and like anything else like uh I don't know movies or music. You know, the, if you, if you've seen the people who are influenced by a particular innovator first, you, you don't appreciate the innovator as much because you've seen, um, you've seen everybody that person influenced. And so he's just another voice that sounds the same way. So just as a, for instance, um, if you heard all the bands influenced by the Beatles before you heard the Beatles music, you don't appreciate what the Beatles did to music when they came out. Mm. Uh, if you see every movie influenced by Citizen Kane before you see Citizen Kane, when you see Citizen Kane, you don't see what, what's so special about it because it's taken it out of context. Um, so for me, I know Mentor's stuff because I had that context. So I was in college during his his sort of his heyday between 1976 and 1980. And um, at that time, I would say before 1975, weight training in general was either for athletes or and even that was a little shaky. Um, but if you did it and you didn't have a sport, you were you were just weird. You were just considered weird. Um, 1975 to 1980 or so, you had the Pumping Iron movie. It started to kind of break out into the mainstream. And I, 
my personal take on it that there were two guys who were going to become mainstream celebrities from bodybuilding. And one was Arnold Schwarzenegger and the other was Mike Menzer. Um, now, obviously, Schwarzenegger, Arnold is Arnold and Menzer's life did not go quite as well between 1980 and 2000. But at the time, you know, it was going to be either him or Arnold. And what Menzer was, the main vehicle we had to learn this stuff was the muscle magazines. So, um, you know, until, until, you know, print started going away, let's say 10 years ago, maybe, you would have maybe 10, 20 magazines on the stands, glossy magazines on the stands, having to do with getting in shape or fitness or muscle or, or, or bodybuilding. Um, but in the 70s, you know, the, the magazines were kind of, they usually found them in the porn section in, in the newsstand. That's another thing they had, newsstand. They had a place where you'd go to buy magazines and newspapers. And you had all the business publications in one section, you had the news, you had the sports, and then you would have the porn section. And a lot of times the fitness magazines were in the porn section because the person in the store just saw all the skin on the cover and just lumped them all in the same the same category. So the muscle magazines pre-1975 were kind of cheesy. I mean, they were kind of cheesy. Um, now, in this time, 1975, 1980, as, as, as Arnold was on the verge of breaking out and Mentz was on the verge of breaking out, the writing got better, the the design got a little, little less garish than, I mean, much less garish than it is today. Or like, you know, if you look at Muscle and Fitness or Iron Man or any of the, what used to be magazines today, uh, the stuff, the, the magazine, 78, 79, 1980, they were almost like mainstreamed, right? Um, and, and then 1980 or so, Nautilus machines got started getting put into racquetball clubs, and racquetball clubs turned into, turned into health clubs and corporate fitness sites. And now the mainstream is really introduced to this idea of working out with weights. Um, to the point where like the business writers and the ad people started talking about the fitness boom of the 1980s. Um, so it went from being this very niche kind of weird little activity to this transition in the late 70s. And then after 1980, it becomes mainstreamed. And to now wherever, whatever it is now, I'm not quite sure. But... Um, Anyway, so in these magazines, part of what Messer did, in addition to having being able to win contests, to, to, to win the actual competitions, he could write. And, and so his, his, so he could write, it wasn't just all, um, you know, he could organize thoughts. He had obviously read stuff outside of other muscle magazines, he, unlike a lot of these it, articles at the time. Definitely, because 
he touched on to the uh, basically almost philosophical type of writing, and I thought, oh, this is kind of kind of interesting. I I just that's the one or one of the things I actually it kind of I noticed and like well this is from know, a bodybuilder in, in the in the seven late seventies and stuff though he 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 was familiar with the bodybuilding jargon and the and the norms at the time. But he could also write, a, he also threw in physiology, he also threw in some biomechanics, some psychology, and the, philo- the philosophy came a little bit later. Um, but he had obviously read stuff other than muscle magazines. And the thing that, that initially got people's attention about him is where, you know, the routines they claimed that Arnold and the other champions at the time were talking, they were talking about doing like 25 sets on a particular muscle for every month and spending hours a day in the gym. And Menser would say, no, I do five sets on a muscle, whole body workout three times a week, an hour and a half a time. So while that sounds excessive by um, today's high-intensity training standards, compared to what was being discussed in the magazines where it would take you four hours a day in the gym, to allegedly become a champion. He was doing it an hour and a half. So that's what first gets got to your attention, or first got my attention, was the fact that, oh, okay, an hour and a half, three times a week? That's much more credible than two hours twice a day and living in California seven days a week. Oh, or, or four hours, like in um, Arnold said, uh, in I, some sort of random YouTube video of him in- Kind of go, having a roid a rage or something. There, there's a video of him saying, "Oh yeah," like a, a lady interviewer saying, "How uh, how how much uh, how do you work out per day?" And he goes like four to five hours a day. And yeah. Well, I, well, well, you know something. At the time in the late in the late seventies, though, that was not an extraordinary statement because that's what was in the muscle magazines each and every month. For virtually everybody, Arnold, Frank Zane, um, uh, Franco Colombo, all the stars at the time were saying something very similar. So, so Menser saying five sets on a muscle, an hour and a half of workout three times a week, that's the thing that stuck out then. See, so it's interesting when you remove it from the context. Um, so now, Compared to what Arthur Jones came to say a little bit after that, it also sounds excessive. But the thing is, Mentsu was the only competitive bodybuilder or, or the, only, the only guy with some competitive success using something like this. So... Um, Ultimately, I think what Jones was having people train for and what Mensa was training for were slightly different. You know, Mensa was training specifically for bodybuilding competition, and I think Jones' training advice was, whether he realized it at the time, uh, I think that was a little more of a like a wellness orientation, if you, if you follow the difference. Yeah. Um, I mean, think, think about know, this um, Mensa was using weight training as his main endeavor. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think to Jones, it, he was trying to make it efficient so that it could fit in around football practice or around 
um, martial arts or around dance or around some other, you know. So in other words, Jones, it, it had its own substance to it, but I don't think he saw it as the be-all, end-all of physical activity. Um, whereas with Menser, it was specifically for bodybuilding competitions. Now, in hindsight, Menser's attitude probably was not the most constructive. Because after he lost the contest in 1980, he kind of quit. And, you know, it was definitely a case of, from what I could tell from reading the magazines at the time, it was a case where the guy put all his eggs in his one basket, and when that didn't materialize, he was done. He quit completely. Which seems to be a little unnecessary. You know, there are other benefits. You know, it was a very dichotomous thinking. It was a very, you know, it was, it was all out and I have to be number one or I don't do it at all. And I'm not sure how useful that is in Joel. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, if... Well, then again, you know, Menser was a particular character. So, you know, from what I've heard, I mean, if anything, his thought processes was a lot more different than most people, to, to put it lightly. Well, you know, it's it, you don't know what people are dealing with privately, internally. Yeah. You know, and again, ju- just in knowing from the magazines, from 1975 or so to 1980, he was trying to be a competitive bodybuilder. And then for a few years after that, he was trying to he was, it seemed he was trying to find his way still through the weight training, just not competitively, whether it meant trying to work for Nautilus or trying to start a magazine or, or somehow trying to use that experience without actually competing. Um, and then, and, and I'm not, you know, telling tales out of school, he had a bunch of well-documented breakdowns and other mental and emotional um, uh, yeah. issues. Yeah. Um, and he ended up dying, uh, I think, uh, about his 50th birthday in, in around 2000 or so, 2001. Um, so for me, he went from being like a, a, a hero to a role model to a cautionary tale. And it kind of makes me wonder if if those those demons that eventually bring him down weren't there all along, and maybe the bodybuilding career was a way of of addressing them. You know, um, you know, I I didn't know him personally. John Little did. Some other guys I know did, but I do know people who if they have an alcohol problem or a drug problem, they find another thing to become addicted to. And if that other thing you become addicted to is fitness or something that you can get some acclaim for, you look like a success. But really, you're just dealing with, you're coping with demons by just refocusing, you know, this 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 drive. Instead of drive being towards alcohol and drugs, you put the drive towards mm-hmm. fitness or weightlifting. And then you get a claim for it, but it's still not necessarily coming from a good place. 
I don't know. It just seems in hindsight that might have might possibly have been what happened because the the he had such a rising star between 1975 and 1980 to have what happened from 1985 on happen to him. It seemed like a very abrupt turn for the worse. Yeah, I mean it. In in a way, it it, it kind of re- reminds me of uh, what's it called again? Um, True believer. How some people, especially on uh, you know, they say that uh, there are some people who basically will cling on to a belief, cling on to a person, cling on to something. You know, assume it just because they don't necessarily have uh, something to be able to attach to life and. You know, like when there is so much, uh, what you would say, the natural tendency to go into chaos. You want to be able to have some 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 stability, something that makes sense, and that's what I kind of got from his writings. Is that you want to be able to get some sort of what he call it objective uh, sense of something, and maybe that in itself is also kind of like when things didn't play out. It, yeah, it's just kind of like came crashing down and yeah well that's why that's why i say it's kind of a cautionary tale right i mean so you read that you read his stuff in the 70s you read his stuff in the early 80s it sounds like he has a handle on things and and yet something went drastically wrong so um something went drastically wrong and i i personally find it hard to believe that losing a bodybuilding contest would be the thing that that derails you so bad. Mm-hmm. I mean, because plenty of guys. I mean, I, I listened to a podcast with uh, John Hansen's podcast. He interviewed Frank Zane. Frank Zane had a lot of success as a bodybuilder. Um, also came up short in a couple of contests, right? He, he won the Mr. Olympia three times in the late 70s, and they've finished out of the money the last few times he, he tried, but his attitude was, look, I do this because this is what I do. I, you know, is that, this is, the, it's what I was doing at the time. He doesn't do it, he doesn't compete now, but he said, you know, I, I did it because that's what I did. But whether I won or lost, I was going to do it anyway. So, plenty of guys have lost contests and not have it derail them. So, um, like I said, you don't you don't really know what people are dealing with internally, you know, privately. Um, but I can say though that the the quality of his writing that you may have read, like anything written say between 1995 to 2000 or so, not nearly as good as the stuff he had written. Um, what would that be? 15, 15 or 20 years earlier. Yeah, I actually noticed that content uh, content change. And yes, it, yes. It, yeah, it, it literally kind of reminded me of how, in some instances, uh, of scientists, scientists who basically, within a particular field, um, they dedicate their whole lives to one particular topic and whole one particular theory or her uh, hypothesis. And then when it's got uh, something goes wrong, it, their, their whole hypothesis and theory gets disproven, and they spend their whole lives, their whole careers on it. It it, it it kind of reminds me of like that like oh man that's actually really it, yeah but then again there, there are other there are others who I mean I think um, 
I remember reading somewhere that uh, uh, Linus Pauling was he the guy who discovered vitamin C? Um, was it? Yeah, that, that doesn't really matter because the point it? is, scientists had done something noteworthy, and somebody asked him, "So now that you hit the top of your field, what are you going to do?" And his answer was, "I'm going to change fields." So some people. It's over, and other people say, "Okay, I learned something, and I and I and I go on to the next thing." So, and who knows what? Who knows why it switches one way or the other for a given person? I mean, that that, that you know, that sounds um, yeah. I mean, like I I guess if you have a, a, a healthy curiosity and you got into science because of that. That's most likely the phenomenon that's going to happen, but it it seems like that wasn't necessarily the case. And yeah, definitely a cautionary tale. But at least one thing came, uh, good came out of me, uh, particularly looking into the uh, whole my mentor thing. I it actually introduced the whole physical culture realm to me, and I thought, mm. what the hell? This is this is kind of kind of neat because it introduced uh, characters such as Vince Garanda and hearing about his uh, stories of how he, you know, when Arnold visited his gym, he, uh, Arnold acting like a big shot, uh, you know, that he was known for, and Vince basically blatantly just kind of shutting him down in a, in a very bold way. <laughs> or And, of course, even, even hearing about him particularly using a prototype of what now is called the carnivore diet, it was kind, kind, well, kind. Now, nowadays we call it carnivore diet, or some people say the uh, you know caveman paleo diet or something. Well, Vince Garando was basically say, using this meat and eggs or steak and eggs, you know, like long beforehand. Well, you know, uh, yes. I mean, one thing about the 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 influence. Well, well I don't know. If it, again, this might just be from where I stand, since I was reading this stuff in the sixties and seventies. I see a lot of that stuff still around today. Slightly dressed up, slightly differently. And that's one of them. Low carb, di- low carb diets were, were what bodybuilders did at the time. Um, the difference being they said to do them for the sake of getting in shape for a contest and then dropping it. They weren't trying to live a whole yeah, years so. on no carb diets. Um, but but you know there's the other um, the other um, relic or, or vestige from the 70s was you know not in the Menser articles he actually wrote against this but in the other articles they would give you a routine that would kill a gorilla right like I said 20 20 exercises of body part you know four hours a day and then they would tell you in the magazine. Don't shortcut the, the routine. If you can't get through it or if you're too sore from it, you are deficient in some particular nutrient. And we happen to sell this particular nutrient. Here's the, here, here's the supplement you need in order to get through these killer workouts. Clearly a scam, right? Oh, yeah. I mean- well, 20, 30 years later, you have P90X come out. And a client had given me the booklet, and as I'm flipping through it, they make the same claim. If you can't get through the workout, don't don't adjust the workout. You're deficient in something. 
Here are the supplements you can buy through P90X that'll help you help you get through the workout. It's the same scam. <laughs> well, I, 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 I'm basically going to say that I actually had somewhat of a kind of like a, a, a experience like that, but because, you know, I decided I actually uh, back to it, it is, of course, it, it came from Vince Garando's uh, writing about Vince's uh, high volume uh, 10 by 10 training. Actually, he has one by 8 by 8 training. And I try, I attempted to do that. And and also how uh, under his uh, you know uh, what it was written as a recommendation he calls it the honest uh, honest workout it basically just wiped it just wiped me out in the sense that i i, I uh, yeah, you you, you could not yeah you could not force me back, back into do that even if you had a gun on my head yeah but you know what he also had um so some of what they did was stick right and you know one thing about print a print is once something's in print, it's in the in print forever. So it might have just been something he threw together for an article because he had, he wanted to get an article, you know, get paid for an article. He might not have actually used it all that often, but because it was in print, it has like a permanence, and people think oh, there's some magic to this routine, and they do it, and they, and they you know, it's it's crushing. Um, but then again, he also used to put out this 10, 8, 6, 15 routine where the first two or three sets were kind of a light warm-ups, working up to the heavy set of six reps, and then cutting back the weight and doing a, a lighter set for 15 reps. Well, you know, that's not terrible. That's not a terrible routine, especially if you're using barbells where you need to warm up and get into the groove. Um, so if you're doing a leg press, a bench press, um, you know, a heavy pull down or heavy row or something like that. And if you're using barbells or exercise where you have to get into the groove of it, as opposed to something that's already, um, you know, kind of set for you like a machine, that's really not a bad way of doing it. And doing, doing six reps, if that's your heavy set, six, I can't do seven. And now you cut the weight down and, pump out 15, that's sort of like doing a forced rep or or getting a little bit of extra effort out of your muscle um, past where you would have normally stopped, that's not a bad, that's really not a bad way to go about it. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's decent instruction. It may not be great physiology, but it's a decent instruction for a specific set of circumstances. Mm -hmm. You wouldn't want to use that on, for instance, on bent over raises where, you know, 10 or 15 pounds is seriously heavy you just don't have the room to play with those those breakdowns but you know there are some kernels in those old muscle magazines oh yeah you know, some kernels of truth manage to pop through every now and then the rest of it's just kind of cheesy stuff um cheesy stuff to overtly sell supplement product well but then again you know like yeah, I mean, I mean, like uh, uh, some of that cheesy stuff can be. Uh, I found it kind of funny. And, and to be honest, like for example, Charles Atlas is uh, the skinny kid uh, got getting sand kicked in his face or something in those. Right. Uh, and I thought that was actually quite funny. The fact, the fact that okay, um, of, of course it was definitely marketing. You you can't. Uh, I can make you a new man in three days or so. I I, I was just thinking. Let me see. Let me see this whole claim. And I, I found it just kind of. It was 
kind of funny if, if, if you ask me. But, you know, something. part of what I do for the newsletter I put out, where I've gotten started before we got a little bit derailed here, is pull out some of those old ads and just to, you know, for a chuckle. But, you know, the, the ads you see today, I mean, it's pretty cheesy too, right? Infomercials are pretty che- cheesy. Pop-up ads, banner ads. Um, yeah, but you know, now give me your they, email. Give they, me your they got better models. Free report. Give me your email for a free report. It's the same cheese. It's just a different, just different technology. Oh yeah, but but it doesn't compare to having drawings of uh, this, the boy getting ki- uh, sand kicked in his oh, face. The kicked the face. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, as well. And also getting the girl <laughs> in the end. They did the best. Oh yes, yes. The um, the um, the gender stereotypes were very, 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 very strong there. Um, yeah, I'm, and I'm just thinking. Okay, I'm guessing. Well, so, what is Charles Atlas's recommendation for women's exercise? And I actually well, they did. They didn't even. Yeah, it was, it was fairly rare. Um, you know, there's a picture I have in my studio of. Um, Oh, as a matter of fact, it was in the, one of those updates of Marilyn Monroe bench pressing dumbbells. Oh yeah. Um, and in one of those updates, I linked to a bigger article where they had more photos from that particular photo shoot, and she knew what she was doing with weights. Um, you know, in that particular picture, she's doing um, bench press with dumbbells. She's got on like a terry cloth bra or a bathing suit top and jeans. Um, and it's not like a, it's not a cheesecake picture, right? Like not much, like her lips aren't like ruby red and she's not pushing her body parts out for the camera. You know, she's, her posture is of somebody doing a careful dumbbell bench press. And what, what really gets, gets me about the picture is, I've seen pictures from bodybuilders of the time in the early 50s, Steve Reeves, guys like that, and they took their outer shirt off and just worked out in jeans and work boots and an undershirt. So whoever, whoever she learned from was an actual, actually knew what he was doing. She was actually, and so when you see those other pictures at that link I, I put, mm-hmm. you can see she, she knew what she was doing when she was handling a barbell. I mean, she wasn't, you know, her grips were even, her posture was good. Um, I mean, there's also some cheesecake pictures of her using a barbell as a prop, but these are not those pictures. And so that's very ahead of her time, right? A woman training with yeah. weights in the early 1950s? Well, I mean, I've heard of uh, some instances where, well, that, that also kind of brought, it brings me back to Vince again, uh, Vince Granda. I mean, he was known for training even stars, especially even women to supposedly get, get in shape because he had, his history was also he also had a, a, a wife that she particularly had a women's only gym. And th- that was kind of like, hmm, that was quite interesting. I mean, having the idea of a because, you know, how men men had their own, you know, men's uh, gym only. So women having their own women's gym. I'm, and I was thinking, well, what happened in the women's uh, only gym? What did they actually do in there? And that kind of got me into a big you know, kind of curiosity. That's why I actually delved into this whole physical culture of being kind of like a, mm. like a li- little bit of a history, a history nerd here. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it, there's some, there's some, uh, 
Yeah, there's some amusement value and there's some occasional, occasional things are actually pretty useful, um, to come out of that. Um, and again, I think, I think some of the stuff that's especially cheesy, you gotta keep in mind they were using this to sell products. Oh yeah. Um, not necessarily to put out legitimate information. Um, uh, I think so every now and then some legitimate information might have snuck out by accident, but, um, um, you know, I mean, again, they're still using that same tactic today. Don't change the routine. You're deficient in something. So buy this supplement, buy this protein, you know, use this mental training program because you're deficient. And really the answer is it's just not the right workout for that person. Well, well that actually kind of reminded me of um, actually how I actually got into uh, uh, the whole physical culture and, uh, and Vince Grada was um, – uh, particularly Larry Scott, uh, Larry Scott uh, training into, uh, uh, being, you know, within Vince Granda. And he was particularly pushing and selling a particular supplement of these, uh, amino acids, to, uh, back then that it was going, to, that's how you're going to add in another, you know, 20 pounds of muscle or something because it's just magical formula. And I looked into it and I'm like, you mean now it's basically branch chain amino acids and, in some cases now, it's just kind of like, man, this is, I, I can't believe people actually spent money on this. Yeah, 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 that, 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 that. Yeah, this is, um, this is, um, April 1976, Muscle Builder and Power with Mike Menser on the cover. And, um, yes, gain 100 pounds of muscle. That's what Larry Scott can help yeah, you Yeah, I, I actually, like, I was up. Really? Okay, let me look at the what's it called again? What what what's this uh, supplement that he's uh, selling? Well, and and so so here's the other thing about that. And Greg Greg the late Greg Anderson had pointed this out to me. Here's an ad with yeah. with Vince Geronda. Anyway, uh, late Greg Anderson pointed this out to me. He said that um, he was aware of of guys taking steroids. And they would take a supplement that was available over the counter because it would mask or would screw up the test for steroids. So that when they were interviewed and they'd said, oh, so what's your, you know, what else do you do in addition to lift weights? Do you take anything? And they'd say, yes, I take, name the supplement, which may have been true, you know, and then all of a sudden, you know, you see the supplement ads in the magazines, it may have been true they may have been taking that supplement, but it wasn't that supplement that was helping them gain the muscle. It was the camouflage what they were actually taking. <laughs> you know, um, um, a bunch of years ago, maybe early 2000s, Sylvester Stallone had a line of supplements come out, right? He had a TV show, like a reality TV show on boxing, and at the same time, he came out with a line of supplements, and he looked in better shape then at 60 than he had looked at 30, which was pretty good because he looked in good shape at 30. Yes, yes. He, he oh Yes, yes, I take all the same supplements that I sell. Yeah, I take them all the time. And then he gets busted going into Australia. He gets busted going into Australia with a month's supply of human growth hormone. hormone. Yeah. And to his credit, he didn't deny it. He said, yep, I take it. I usually have a doctor's prescription with me. This time I forgot the prescription. He said, 
It's not magic, but it helps me recover from the workouts. I think everyone should take it. Okay, so you know what? Good for him for not lying and not trying to weasel out of it. But you had just been selling supplements. It wasn't the supplements that did it for you. It was the, it was the growth hormone that did it for you. <clears throat> so he might have been taking the supplements. That just gives him, that just gives these guys something to say they're taking. So they don't have to answer the real question of what they're taking. <laughs> so. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I, you know, Actually, yeah, I think I read that article about Sylvester Stallone take, uh, being caught uh, and getting in trouble with authorities uh, about that. And, you know, there there are some people who who look up to Sylvester, like, uh, of the reason why they they work out every day or trying to, like, go hard or, or something without realizing, hey, man, he, he, he's getting all these uh, these certain benefits. And, you know, they, 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 t- they try to say... You know, if you take this supplement, if you work hard consistently and try to kind of like work, work you know, go 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 ham and don't don't be lazy. You can you too can be like Sylvester Stallone. I'm thinking, no, yeah, probably not. <laughs> probably no, not. <laughs> yeah, there's probably something more to it. I mean, it's 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 definitely it's kind of like the fact is you know. Unfortunately, you know how uh, you know, especially since I watched the movie Expendables, and that is uh, Expendables was supposed to be that homage towards uh, I'm, I'm guessing the '80s uh, action heroes and Sylvester yeah, yeah. Stallone. I'm not sure if he was a really big uh, uh, icon for action heroes, but I'm, I'm guessing you know, I, I get a yeah. lot of a lot of men. Yeah, I'd say he was. Yeah, yeah, like, he was. Um, I actually, you know, you, know, you, you get to it. You're, you're hinting around or you're circling an interesting question, which is why people work out. And I do think that at a certain stage in an individual's motivation for exercise, wanting to be the next Sylvester Stallone or the next Arnold or the next Mike Mentor plays a part. But... Um, Assuming you don't turn into that, I do think it matures over time and people say, you know what, whether I get 18-inch arms or whether I'm an action movie star or not isn't the point. I do want to try to exercise to get whatever benefits I can get as I get on with my life. And I think in there is really where personal training clients are. Mm. You know, not so much the people who want to be the star or people who are hung up on doing everything like their, their hero, but that next, sort of that next phase of, gee, I want to exercise, I want to get the benefits I can from it, but I'm probably not going to do the things that I have to do to become a champion, you know, to become the rock. Um, and I think that's where most personal training lies, by the way, is in helping those people get what they want out of exercise. It, it's, it's, that one of the reasons uh, your your particular shift uh, from I'm guessing you know you, I'm, I'm guessing you were a in, in, when you were younger uh, impressionable about Mike Mentor, the Mike Mentor and the whole body uh, whole body building and at some point you probably just started having this transition where you know really just seeing exercise for what it for really what it is and you know just kind of 
I guess, um, having a, a touch of wisdom. I'm, I'm guessing that. I- well, yes, but probably in the, um, let me see, probably something's beeping, sorry about okay, that. Okay, no, not a problem. But, um, I, I would say pro, pro, when, I, when I started in the, whenever it was, early 70s, it was to get in shape for a sport. And then um, it got away from me a little bit. I got a little bit more aspiring towards bodybuilding or so. Um, but my dad had had a bout of cancer, and one of the scare tactics they put out about steroids that would help cause cancer, so it didn't seem to be like a real good avenue for me to pursue. Um, but then in the early 80s, when personal training started to catch on in New York City, that's where I saw all the business people and all the executives using personal training appointments. And they made it very clear they weren't trying to become a champion bodybuilder, Olympic athlete. They just needed the appointment to get in shape. And that was a big Right there was a big turning point in my attitude towards it. That, um, that oh yeah, okay, you don't necessarily have to push every set to the absolute maximum to squeeze every last bit out of it. You know, that's going to interfere with this person's work the rest of the day. They just want to be on track and exercise regularly and still function. So that's a that's a huge mental switch to make. And that was. Um, and I was like, there. For me, that was 1983. You know, I mean, personally, I went on after that and did a couple of bodybuilding competitions over a dozen years or so, not extensively, but every now and then, just to kind of focus my training. Um, but for me, that was in 1983 was when I realized, okay, there's something else to be done here other than try to, you know, create champions. Yeah, I mean, uh, and, you know, it, it, I'm guessing that's the reason why you got into uh, congruent exercise and all, your, all, all these other projects that you've been um, go, uh, going for. And, and you know, actually, I wanted to even particularly ask one thing about congruent exercise. Uh, chapter 5, that you mentioned uh, particularly about how the human body was kind of designed not particularly for strength, but more for... Um, you can say speed, and uh, for some people, that just ha- uh, you know they, they they probably would like cringe at that. And I, I wanted to you know hear you know, particularly your arguments and your thoughts of, uh, just just about that and you know, over there. Um, yeah, well, the um, um, when you look at the levers involved in the, the body, human body. They, you, you leverage distance. So for, so for instance, one inch of movement at your elbow or at your hip, and your hand moves a lot further than one inch. So, so, you know, looking at your shoulder and, and the, the monitor here, and so, you know, one inch of movement at the shoulder, and my hand moves a couple of feet. Mm-hmm. So uh, the, the leverage advantage is for, for a distance. Mm-hmm. All right? 
bench over here, put some grades of foot and a half over here. Um, since that motion happens at the same time, right? <laughs> this is a second. Well, I'm moving one one inch in a second, or I'm moving two feet in one second. So the speed and the distance is being leveraged. Mm-hmm. Um, on the other hand, since the muscles attach close to the joints, you put a lot more force internally on your joint than moves in your hand. So, for instance, um, a 10-pound dumbbell held out at arm's length, like in a side raise, mm-hmm. is working through a lever that's the length of your arm. Mm-hmm. The muscle is working through a lever that's much, much smaller. Mm-hmm. So you're putting a lot more internal force, a lot more force being applied internally than is getting generated on the outside. And um, therefore, it's kind of like, that's not really efficient if you were to look in classification of levers. I mean, there's actually yes, three, right. three, three classifications. As a matter of fact, like a, in moment arm exercise, I, I pulled a quote from like a renaissance science who said that Nobody would make a machine that absorbed more energy than it put out. Yeah. The point of using uh, the machine is about efficiency. Yes, you want to put a little bit of motion, a little bit of energy into the machine and have a great deal of energy out of the machine, right? Mm -hmm. A crowbar, uh, a crowbar, a nutcracker, an inclined plane. You want to put a little bit of effort in and get a lot of effort out. What we do with weight training is we put a lot of effort into the joints and, and very little effort comes out relative to what's happening at the joint. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the, the trick, the key is, by the way, is you don't, you don't, is, 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 is a sweet spot between, there are benefits to lifting weights, mm-hmm. but it's inherently going to be harder on your joints than the external result. Mm-hmm. So it's really just a question of, of doing it carefully, just because you have that inherent that inherent contradiction. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, to, to be honest, uh, I, I would may actually also make up the, the argument that if we look on a physiological standpoint, um, that yeah, we weren't really designed for strength. I mean, like strength, uh, like strength training at, at a particular activity. If we if we really think about it. I mean, say if we go, go into that, just, you know, I threw somebody out into the water. So, yeah, I don't think that you want to be able to just go and, you know, pick up really heavy rocks just for the heck of it. I'm pretty sure that, yeah, we, even our metabolism wasn't really designed for that. If we, and, you know, since we have the ATP, creatine phosphate, the uh, anaerobic glycolytic cycle, the Krebs cycle, and with the you know, fat, basically fat burning itself, and electrolyte chain, all of those processes, you know, it, it and even anything like say musc- uh, muscular hypertrophy, all aim towards movement and I guess you can say power, power generation. I know back back into an esoteric type of thing about uh, Odom's. Um, Max power uh, 
power production, uh, you know, that, 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 that is what you consider a sustainable organism of, of health. And your, your particular point about that, it, it just, even on, on talking about like just, just biomechanics and the letters, it makes a lot of sense. We, you know, I don't think that we were designed to be able to try to deadlift um, uh, 500 or 1,000. I think the world's strongest man is, is basically doing 1,000 pounds. I don't think we were made for that. Well, right. I mean, well, and again, getting back to getting, getting back to where the tire meets the road, right? What is a person working out? Mm-hmm. Um, do we really want to be human forklift? You know, human forklift? Exactly. I mean... Not really. It's not particularly, you know, you, you know the um, the commercial uh, where there's this you know really jacked guy lifting a tire and slamming it, and flipping the tire, and right next to him there's this guy who hasn't worked out a day in his life and he's rolling the tire. And he's <laughs> <laughs> you know, the guy looks disappointed. No. And again, the point isn't to, isn't to discourage weight training as exercise. It's just to, just to emphasize: no, you have to be careful while you're doing it. You know, yeah. you should be. You're not straining. You should be training. There's a there's a fine line of difference, but it but it. You know, it's easy to get caught. It's easy to be. You're so motivated, you get caught up in, you know, getting that extra rep or really getting that extra burn. Um, and you hate tamping tamping that down on someone who's enthusiastic, but if they want to train for a lifetime and get the benefits for a lifetime, you kind of ha- at some point you have to, yeah, or you should. So, I mean, I mean, it's, it's, in general, it's it's kind of like one of the things that I particularly I. I'm not, uh, hopefully I don't necessarily get, uh, you know, uh, particularly more hate, uh, hate from, from this, but the idea that, you know, you have to lift a certain amount or a certain weight, or if you don't, you know, you're, you know, you're not really doing, um, proper exercise yeah. because you're, right, I right. mean, there, there are now articles that are saying, oh yeah, how women should be lifting. Women should be lifting heavy. And I'm just thinking, um, what heavy is? Why? Yeah. Why? 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 Why should it be def- deadlifting? Yeah. Um, and well, why deadlift recklessly anyway? Or 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 uh, you know uh, you know in general, women should be lifting heavy and any heavy weights. And I I particularly thought, wait 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 a minute, you're gonna tell us uh, you know women who usually you know one. The, there's not that much in general instruction on how to ex- actually exercise. You know, like, let, let's be honest, how many, um, majority of the public, how many of them actually know how to ex- exercise and how to exercise safely? And you're telling them, hey, you know what? Women, you should all lift heavy. You're going to tell this 5 to 120-pound uh, women that she should be lifting 200, 300-pound deadlifts or squats. Well, I, I don't think, you, you know, I've been looking at this media stuff a long time, and I don't think you're going to eliminate the irresponsible exercise instruction, you know, um, even from somebody with a degree in biomechanics or exercise phys who 
whose preference is to lift heavy weights, and they're going to advocate everyone lift heavy weights or swing the bell or or what have you. I really think all you can do is is put your own material out to the opposite, or or when you have a client, should they say, "Gee, should I be doing this?" It's perfectly okay to say, "No, you shouldn't be doing this." You know, we're going to affect the same result, but not by lifting, you know, kettlebells or or, or truck tires. Um, you, you know, unfortunately, we're not going to stamp out the, the irresponsible, um, you know, hype or or cheerleading that's out there. Yeah, I mean, for example, it, it kind of I I had a particular cautionary tale in the form of Bruce Lee. You know, he 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 was doing the exercise of good mornings, uh, barbell good mornings, mm-hmm. and you know, and if anybody like read about that or you've seen some of his bio uh, biography about what what happened to Bruce, yeah, you know, like he was almost paralyzed from his and uh, because he basically had that a bad accident with a bar uh, the barbell good mornings, almost put his career and his life on hold. Maybe he 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 would have been paralyzed, and I'm just thinking. Oh my God! Yeah, well, well, and and that's an exercise that it doesn't take a lot of analysis to realize that you know people doing that and not getting hurt—that's the freak occurrence. In other words, doing it, doing a good one, putting something on top of your spine and bending forward with it—you probably should be getting hurt every time you do it. The fact that you don't, that's the fluke, that's the freak accident, that you didn't get hurt that time. So, um... And, and well, to, to be honest, it's, it's kind of like, in, in those instances, in those cases, I'm just thinking, it, you know, like, if, if people are, you know, still... Still believing, uh, you know, that they have to train every certain body part, and they have to all go heavy, and, you have, uh, uh, and because they want to... Say this is the only way that I'm gonna get stronger. I I'm just kind of thinking. Uh... Well, you know, so, so I think I think is stepping back a second. I I think that is the value of personal training. When you have a client who read the article or saw the infomercial or saw the whatever, and they, they want to know, they may not have the vocabulary for it, but they may, they may, they may be thinking, look, I want to get in shape, but I do not want to do that. And I think that's part of the, that's where personal training comes in, where you can say, no, no, you don't have to do that. We can exercise those muscles safer this way. Um, so there is a real value to personal training is to help, is to break through all that noise and uh, speaking of noise, especially since you've gone into the topic of personal training, uh, you know, I wanted to ask about your uh, opinion and thoughts on the current state of affairs, and particularly, I guess, certain decisions now affected by, you know, of, of having that, you know, personal training mindset and the ethics of it. Uh, you know, in particular, I'm going to also kind of ask, uh, you know, you can, if, if you wish to not uh, particularly talk about it, that's fine, but 
I uh, of virtual personal training. I am still on the fence about that. Well, um, you know, uh, the point of personal training is, is the, the real point is you're watching the person, you're seeing how they react, and you can adjust on the fly. Mm-hmm. So you kind of lose that virtually. So just for instance, uh, one of my clients, a pretty capable client, asked if I would give him a couple of things to tie him over until this passes and he can start training again. And so I, um, I put together a pretty, pretty safe set of exercises, exercises, mobilizations, and stretches. And one of the things I had there was free, a freehand squat, done five reps in 30 seconds, going on to do 10 reps total. Now, that's a pretty classic uh, protocol. That's, that's like garden, two, two, four, you know, two seconds up, four seconds down, 10 reps in a minute. I just say five reps in 30 seconds because it's just a little less nerve-wracking. So, counting off five in 30 seconds and adjusting to me is all you need. Counting up one, two, and one, two, three, four, one. Anyway, so the client said, gee, the video was fine. I got paid. It was much really tough. I couldn't actually make it. And I said, well, you know, in person, I would have seen that, and I would have made an adjustment right on the spot. I would have realized, okay, Five hours and thirty seconds is enough for today. Don't want ten. You know, shake your legs out, take a break, we'll do another set, or we'll do it easier easier, you know, we'll do something else. And that's what you lose not being in person. You can't see the person's reaction. You can't see the, if they're gritting their teeth or if they're they're um, you know uh, straining or about to lose their posture. So um yeah, I mean, I so that's just virtual training in general. Like at, at this time, you know, all these trainers talking about moving to the virtual training mile, they're really thinking about themselves without realizing that their clients may also be having financial issues as well. Um, so I think you have to, I think as the individual trainer, you got to weigh whether retooling to be a virtual trainer is worth is, is going to pay off in the end. Um, me personally, I'll, I'll do maybe I'll do a video like that every couple of weeks with my clients just to give it to them if they want to do it. But I'm just accepting the fact that it's going to be a bad month or two or whatever it is, and figuring out what I'm going to do on the other side of this. Um, so, um, yeah, quite another problem with virtual training, every city now with a good body is putting their exercise videos on on Twitter, on Instagram for free. Yeah, pretty much. So, you know, you, you, that's tough to compete with, let's face it. I mean, I personally think they should leave some money for the rest of us. You know, if you're if you're the walker, don't need you to try to put out a fitness app 
I'm sorry, but, uh, you know, if, if you're a four, why are you putting out a fitness app, taking money out of personal training? It's not making enough money to make moves. Come on, man. However, however, my point, though, is that's your competition, right? The 30 or 40-year-old actor in phenomenal shape who's also putting excellent videos up as a way to entertain their fans or stay busy during their hiatus, that's going to be tough to break through. Like, that's going to, it's going to be tough to take virtual training and get a big enough chunk of a market where your competition is giving it away free. Yeah. And it's not really a competition, but in the eyes of the, your potential customer, it is. So... Well, I may think I have something to offer in terms of personal training. I know that if somebody has a choice of training virtually with Chris Hemsworth or training with me, you're probably going to go with me. You're probably going to say, I mean, you know. Yeah, you know, it hurts. It, 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 it hurts walking over it. Yeah, I mean, not only that, but also, I think the, when you have um, personal training, uh, originally, with the, the biggest benefit of it was because you were there you, you, physically and you had that human interaction, uh, particularly in human interaction where, yeah, you know, you can physically, as you were saying, yeah, just on the fly, but at the same time, you were also kind of there to just kind of, I guess, make, well, one, keep, uh, keeping them um, safe, and two, uh, some, some people, uh, some of my clients, uh, and saying, like, they, they basically said, even uh, trying to do the workout online, it's just not the same. There, there's a certain element of me being physically, presently there. I mean, I, uh, some people say, you know, like, you give off a, a, your, your, your presence, your uh, energy or something. You can't get that virtually. And maybe it's also just kind of something that's not necessarily touched upon, and either that is also your case as well. But also, the other thing, too, is the same reason why I, listen, if people could work out at home, they would not have gotten hooked up with a personal trainer in the first place. Exactly. You know, I mean, there's something about the commitment, there's something about the interaction, uh, about having to physically be ready, that I'm not sure virtual training meets. Um, so, um, I know, I, 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 and, I, and the fact, and the fact that the, the fact that that is all you hear in the exercise media now, in social media, it's basically everyone's scrambling. scrambling. They're all scrambling. Everybody's scrambling, right? Which is why I said, oh, I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to figure out what to do on the other side. And to be honest, I'm actually kind of thankful that I did this interview with you just because it's kind of refreshing to hear somebody who's, who's basically, one, not necessarily trying to scramble for, I guess, what you call the breadcrumbs. I, I'm sorry to say, but it's essentially for all these uh, exercise professionals, I'm probably going to get a lot of hate, but they're, you're scrambling for breadcrumbs. If you got to compete against, yeah. The Chris Hamworth or or whatever fitness star or something. Let's be honest. We we don't. One, we don't look like them. 
to, we don't have that massive following, even if we like to think that we are rock stars. Let's, let's assume, also from an us and Bolt's point of view, right? Let's assume you can't charge the same rate virtual as in person. And I think that's a pretty fair assumption. Like the, 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 the rate you charge for virtual training. Um, you know, if someone comes to a studio, they see the equipment, they assume that's built into the rate. Well, now they're working out at home. Let's assume, actually, you know what, let's not even talk about the rate. Mm-hmm. Let's just say you have 10 clients. Mm-hmm. Do you think you're going to keep 10 out of 10 clients? Probably not. Probably that's the number of clients you have is going to drop when you have to switch to the virtual model. And the problem with these celebrity, free celebrity workouts is it's going to be very tough to get that next new client. So it's going to be very tough to make you whole to make up any clients that drop out because of their own financial situation or they just don't have the tech savvy to do it or whatever. So that's, you know, on the more nuts and bolts point of view, that's also the problem you're going to run into is how do you get that next client? So you can have a natural drop off of your existing client load um, and now to try to attract new clients, you're competing with the movie stars, the new stars, the models, putting out the free fitness videos. So, you know, good luck. Good luck to anyone who tries it. But uh, I think there are better uses of better uses of one's time at this point. Um, there's one thing that I wanted that. A very, very sobering, <laughs> a sobering statement that you particularly made. I mean, it just, it, it, in the midst of this chaos, I mean, I, I just see a lot of people just really, really trying and, and without just taking the time to realize, hey, you know, maybe this is not the time to particularly try to say, we are now only virtual or a type of company or anything like that. And that it, that in itself is just kind of like, um, you know, you, some people talk about, you know, certain marketing, uh, marketing lingo about their uniques or so. Well, why is it unique if you decide to go all virtual? It's a tough sell. It's a tough sell. But, that, you know, now in fairness, though, um, I personally have had to deal with a few um, prior crises, professionally speaking. Um, for instance, I was in New York City on the morning of 9-11 training clients. So, you know, and then prior to that, way after that, I had just opened the studio when the recession in 2008 hit. And then prior to 9-11, I was in New York during, uh, the first World Trade Cell bombing, and um, so I've, 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 I've had episodes where I've looked, you know, impending financial doom <laughs> appear to be right there, and you get through it, and that informs you the next time that you can, it informs you the next time that 
it sounds bad, sounds intimidating, but you can figure it out. It, would that be your advice to, I guess? Head the next time, head towards the next time. And then, well, then this happens now, and I said, okay, well, I'm going to lose a month or two. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I'm going to lose a month or two. I'm not going to be upset. I mean, I have it, okay? Mm-hmm. I see it coming. Mm-hmm. Let me see what, what I'm going to do next. Mm-hmm. I'm going to cut out the expenses of the more bare stuff that I can, and then lay where I can. Um, I have XML, I can save, I can, just, you know, I can, I can survive off that, and then I have to rebuild. And knowing what I know now, what, you know, how does that inform rebuilding? Mm. So, um, there's a certain amount of, of having been through this before <laughs> that keeps you from, you know, having been through this before, I realize, okay, jumping on the bandwagon of virtual training, that's not, that's, that's, that's not, that's not me going to it. I have, I have another, um, I have another set of tools to use in this type of situation. Mm. So. I mean, that's, that actually, to, to be honest, um, though, that, that is, has one of the, one of the most useful things I've actually heard from, uh, from, I guess you can say, uh, people who've been in the business or, or the game for a very, very long time because it, it, like, a lot of us are just kind of freaked out because this is, for, you know, for uh, some of us, it's like, oh, this is the first, um, I guess, crisis that has particularly happened, and they're freaking out, man, my business is going under, what the, what the hell do I do now? And they actually have that experience, and you actually, you know, like, saying you have that full advice. I thank you for that. I, I, I really do thank you for that, the, the fact that you can actually say, hey, you know what? I can get through this. You know, maybe use this as a time to, like, start swinging down and reevaluating how I'm doing things. I, I think that it's uh, something that you, you don't necessarily think of when you're, you're panicking. I mean, it seems like the fact, <laughs> I know it seems, it, it's, it's one of those social media memes where people are, uh, it shows a, a guy being hanged or something and, and, and it goes like, uh, people freaking out, oh, uh, how are we gonna get, uh, get back to business and, and, and operate and survive this? And you're probably like that guy who had that, being hanged. Oh, first time? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, that, yeah, that means. Yeah, well, that's right. That's, that's kind of right. That's right. Um, you know, in the, well, no, like I said, I've, 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 been, I've been here before. <laughs> well, any, any other advice that you would say to other trainers, maybe some studio owners or people in general, any... I guess, you know, I don't want to uh, take too much of your time, so I'll kind of wrap it up. So, any advice? Well, I, I was, let, uh, you know, let me speak to the individual trainer mm-hmm. rather than the studio owner. Because mm-hmm. the, the person who owns a studio um, or, or multiple studios or larger studios than I have, you've got a separate set of headaches. Um, but let me, let, you know, let me just speak to the individual trainer. The, um, so hopefully you have your client's contact information already or you have a way of getting in touch with them on social media 
because the the bond is literally between the client and the trainer, not necessarily between the client and the house. So, you know, so for the individual trainer with clients, you, you're a little more nimble than the guy who owns the actual facility. Um, the guy the actual facility, or who has the lease out of the actual facility, you've got to deal with the landlord or a mortgage. The trainer just has to deal with, well, you made it a new place to train. Um, maybe your clients can't afford what they had been paying before, but you still have the core of the business. You still have the relationship with the client. So, again, if you're an individual client, I would make sure, I, if you're an individual trainer, I would, what, I, what I'm doing is I, 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 once a week or so, I ask my 70-year-old and older clients if they need anything from the pharmacy, supermarket, or whatever. And most of the time they don't, they take care of themselves. And some people take me out behind, I can let out and pick up a prescription for them. We're all geographically local. Not that big a deal. I never mention training. It's just a way of staying in touch with the client. If it pays off at the end, great. If it doesn't, that's okay too. Um, you know, I'll, I'll probably do every week or two another home training video. But it's elaborate. A few stretches, a few body weight exercises, a few abdominal um, exercises. Whether they use it or not, entirely up to them. But I'll put it out there, drop it in their emails, just stay in front of the client. Because at some point, this will pop through the other end. And if you kept your connection with the clients, you'll have some place to start from. Okay, so, um, you know, I mean, the, 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 um, Again, it's not, not the time to try to capitalize on it, but you just want to, you just want to have the breadcrumbs out there for this is over, um, and it will be over at some point. You know, it will be. So, um, but it's just delicate time. I mean, even sending, sending out an email to somebody, I make sure to say, you know, if I can't go at a bad time, I apologize. Let's face it, we kind of exist in the point that we're kind of in the sandbox of life, kind of on the outside of life, kind of work. Uh, so you want to make sure that you apologize if you go at a bad time. Because the person's just bored, perfect. Or they, if they stay home, stay home perfect, you call them at the right time. If they've just been diagnosed, someone else has been diagnosed, probably not open your email. But you just want to throw it out there that look, my coach had a bad time, I apologize. But if not, you know, here's something you can help tide you over. Um, so, you know, you don't want to be too, too, too pushy. You just want to, you just want to leave the, the trail out there so when they get through this, they can find you again. So, the, the way I'm, I'm pretty much hearing it is that you, you just want to be a really decent person that Hey, you know, you're, you're capable of having a relationship uh, with uh, this, uh, client that, you know, they don't hate you afterwards because, you know, that you were trying to act out of your own interests. You were, you, you also well, thought, yeah, you're good. And, and, and 
guess yeah, having good. Uh, I, I don't necessarily want to say well intentions uh, because usually a lot of people say, oh yeah, you know, like, I have well intentions or good intentions for you, but it usually ends up trying something bad. But the way I'm thinking is that you're having you're having decent being a decent human being. Is, is that? Yes, yes. It's a very elaborate marketing strategy called Don't Be an Asshole. It's a very, very, very sophisticated strategy I've developed over the last 40 years. <laughs> I'm pretty sure some people really could use that. They, they need a lesson in that. Listen, obviously, if you are a family member and sick, you take care of, you know, you have a hierarchy of what you take care of. Mm-hmm. Um, but at that, you just check in, be a decent human being to your clients, and whether it pays off or not, you did the right thing. Um, being a little too aggressive right now, definitely not the right thing. Yeah, so, and, and you know, to, to be honest, uh, it just, just probably one of the best advice that I've heard so far um, from um particularly just, uh, just people in the business that are addressing, and you know, like, oh, what are you doing to address this whole situation? And, uh, yeah, I mean, I actually really thank you a lot, you know, for, one, taking the time to be able to do this interview with me, two, to be to kind of share your thoughts, your wisdom, and, and three, just be able to get this one really important message, be a human being in this high trying times. I mean, that's, right, right. that's, that's just, if anything, if anybody gets anything out of this, uh, this particular interview, please, just be a decent human being. That's, that's all I'm asking. <laughs> yeah. Any closing thoughts or any comments or anything before we kind of wrap up? I mean, of course, um, I'm gonna link uh, all of your resources, especially on your, uh, your um, joint-friendly fitness, um, you know, also books or anything, and anything that you want to put out before we uh, close the show. No, I think we're good. I mean, uh, I'm going to try to open that newsletter up. Um, you know, as a Kickstarter packer, you're getting periodic um, updates. Mm-hmm. I'm going to try to open those up to not just packers, um, so people will be able to sign up on the con- contact. Um, and again, perfect example, right? I don't want to be too aggressive with that. But in a couple of days, I'll have everything to go, and hopefully it'll be a respite from the sort of doom on news. Yeah. Um, and, you know, at some point in the future, when the book is ready, yes, I will have how to purchase it on there. But in the meantime, it'll be a, it'll be a little bit of a pastime. Um, with uh, what I think is a kind of unique take on the fitness business, you know, from the joint-friendly stuff to working with interns to uh, the muscle memorabilia, that will be good for a chapel. Oh, yeah, I, I actually enjoyed the, the muscle, you know, me just being the history uh, history fitness nerd here. Um, but especially, I, I, I guess, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll link that into the web, uh, web and uh, web show and, or, you know, the show notes. And... Best way to be able to contact you or, you know, to drop an email? 
You know, probably uh, LinkedIn is probably the best. That seems to be used to the, the least in the clutter. Mm-hmm. Um, Facebook obviously has has its own issues. Yeah. <laughs> so I think LinkedIn is probably the best place. Right. Be, um The cleanest and, uh, you know, more professional interactions that seem to happen there. So I'll be sure to try to get your LinkedIn uh, and also, you know, the joint friend and friendly fitness page and, you know, pretty much it, if you do get that newsletter set, set up, then, you know, like, uh, also, you know, let me know and I can just put it in the show notes and hopefully people listening to this, you know, if they, they enjoy your, your content, uh, this, this content and they want to learn more about yourself, they, they basically can support you from there and that, that I actually would be happy if they actually did that, you know, because you do come out really good. Much appreciated. Of course. And anything else, but, or that probably should be it, huh? I think we can wrap it up there. Okay, all right. So, and so this has been the Stronger for Life podcast with Cass and, of course, uh, Bill Jason Bone right here. And, you know, if anything, then yeah, just, just, if you got anything out of this podcast, please just be a decent human being. And hopefully, <laughs> hopefully you can stay tuned for the next episode and have a good one. Stay safe and 